want to invite you to open in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm excited about this. We don't preach from the Old Testament all that often. We want to more. We want to be uh, recognized that we're people that believe in, in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, and so we're excited to see uh, God's Word here for us today. Um, I'm excited to see my daughter. She's one of the students that's there on the retreat today. I hope that she, along with the rest of the students, come home kind of dirty and tired and uh, just filled up with what God has done in their lives. Uh, I hope she's wore out for Jesus this weekend. Um, and so I thank you for those that have been praying for our students. Uh, they should be back later this afternoon. I think there were like 18 or 19 students that went with four leaders. And I saw pictures, if you saw some of those pictures, there's like over 100 students from other churches as well, just coming together, seeking the face of Jesus together, and just also having a good time. Do you know Christians can have a really good time? Sometimes I think our young people can get deceived. It's like, oh man, do I have to have the faith of my, my parents? They're so boring. Oh, God forbid it. God forbid it. Hopefully amongst all people, we can have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And so I hope those students just had a ball an absolute great time. But uh, today we're going to be uh, talking just a little bit about the ceremony that we had here just a few minutes ago, this child dedication. What is it? What's it all about? Can we find it in the Bible? And uh, if you uh, can guess already, yes, it's, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to take a look at that together right now. So uh, follow along as I read aloud in the scriptures here together uh, today. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 1, it says this, there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, son of uh, an Ephrathite. I don't know why any of you parents didn't name one of your kids those names, right? Come here, Zuf. Uh, but this Elkanah, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to her your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. 
I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then, then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his, Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she, did, she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a part of the story of the Hebrew scriptures that we've seen God's people Israel being delivered out of Egypt by mighty powers and signs and wonders through the leadership of Moses. But before Moses could lead the people into the promised land of Canaan, he died and passed on the leadership to a man named Joshua. Joshua led the people of Israel all throughout the land of Canaan and they defeated the wicked uh, nations that were there and, and, and got them out and, and the Lord gave the people of Israel blessing to live there. And he said, as long as you obey my commands and keep my covenant, I will bless you and I will greatly multiply you and you will be safe in the land. Unfortunately, the people did not keep the covenant with the Lord their God. They sinned. They bowed down to the idols of the nations uh, that they had dis dispossessed uh, there in Canaan. In fact, it says in Judges that they got even worse than the nations that they dispossessed. They did even more evil, more wickedness, more vile things than the nations did. This is the people of God. This is Israel. And so God said, my covenant with you is this, if you obey and keep my commands, I will bless you in this land. But if you do not obey me and if you bow down to the idols, I will certainly discipline you. And in fact, I'll bring in peoples that will torment you and, and, and uh, that will harm you. And so we see that that was this vicious cycle where the people would repent, they'd call upon the name of the Lord, and then uh, they would fall back into sin again. And it the end of Judges just ends with just so much despair. It's one of the darkest places in all the Bible, the end of Judges. But there's a little bit of hope. God gives hope through a young Moabite woman whose name is Ruth, and, and she comes in and she comes, becomes a part of the, the, the royal line that we know later on of Jesus, but she becomes a part of this royal line of a king who would be over Israel, a man after God's own heart that would lead the people to serve the Lord with all their heart, and his name was David. But before we get there, we see a story. 
Because we, we still see that there's a lot of darkness going on. There's a lot of problems. In fact, Hannah's grief that we saw in this passage, it reflected the grief of the nation of Israel. They needed deliverance. They needed cleansing. They needed a fresh work from their God. And so what does God do? We see Samuel. It's, it's named after Samuel, though we know Samuel didn't write all of it, certainly. He write, might have written portions of it. But this Samuel, he was a prophet, he acted as a good priest. We see the priest Eli in the passage that we just read. He, he was not a good priest. In fact, he let his sons, he was a terrible dad, in fact. He let his sons do all kinds of wickedness in the tabernacle at Shiloh. But Samuel was a good priest, and he acted as a good judge over the people. And eventually, this Samuel would be used by God to anoint the kings, the first kings of Israel. First Saul. Saul didn't keep covenant with God, but then eventually, as I mentioned before, this King David, a man after God's own heart. And so we see that Samuel is a very significant character, a very significant person for the work of God, for God's people Israel. In fact, it says in 1 Samuel 3, 19 to 20, that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Now that's quite a ministry, right? That's quite a ministry. I, don't, I mean, Hannah was probably just so proud to see her boy doing all this. What a reputation he had. What an influence he had over leading the nation. Where did this dedicated life of Samuel begin? Well, we see it began with a dedicated mom. A dedicated mom. A child who had great success, who did great things for God and for the people of Israel, that dedicated life of Samuel began with a dedicated mom that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this is our big idea this morning. A dedicated child begins with a dedicated parent. A dedicated child begins with a dedicated parent. I'm so grateful for these families that got up here. We saw precious little Noel. We saw precious little Cora, and it's so awesome to see these moms and dads up here saying, we want to give this little one over to the Lord, but you know what first has to start? It has to start in the hearts of these moms and dads that we prayed for here today. A dedicated child begins with a dedicated parent, and so what was Hannah dedicated to that we see in this story? First of all, she was dedicated in the midst of her pain. She was dedicated in her pain. Not only that, but she was dedicated by trusting, to, to, uh, trusting God to provide for her through prayer. She was dedicated in prayer to the Lord. And thirdly, Hannah was dedicated to God's purpose for her child over her own desires and purposes for her child, Samuel. And so let's take a look at this together here a little bit. This dedicated mom, this dedicated parent that would lead to a dedicated child. But first of all, she was dedicated in her pain, in her pain. Well, what was her pain? First of all, we see in verse 2, she had no children. She was barren. Now, well, what's the big deal there, right? It means she could have lived the, uh, you know, the, the mom-free life. No diapers to change, right? No bottles to clean. Uh, no uh, messes to clean up. No sleepless nights. Sounds kind of nice, right? Well, it wasn't. She was barren and her heart was broken. Having children see in this time and in, in, in the days of Israel, was, it was more than a mere relationship, more than just having this little baby that, that you love and that loves you back. It was, it was considered honor and blessing. That was what was found in children. It was a, a demonstration of God's blessing and honor over a, a woman. And shame came through barrenness. And this wasn't, wasn't God's view, but it was the view of the culture at the time. Shame was brought upon Hannah because she was barren. 
Not only that, but when these children would grow up, they would be a source of financial provision and security for adults as they age for these parents. And not only that, this child was brought in, it was brought into the community of Israel. And so every time Hannah would see a mom holding the hand of her little one, she was reminded of her pain. Every time she uh, would hear another baby crying, maybe in the house next door, she would be reminded as she slept at night, being kept awake by the cry of another one's child, she was reminded of her pain and her barrenness. She was reminded all the time of her pain. But not only was she uh, experienced the pain of, of barrenness, but she also had pain from someone else. Verse 6 says this, her rival, Penina, the other wife of Elkanah. Now, I know that's, that's a very odd situation, but in the times of, of, the, of, of the Bible, though God never ordained it, often men would take multiple wives. And in this case, Elkanah, though he was a good man, I would say this was a blemish on him. He had another wife. And, and the way he treated these two women created this rivalry in their home. And so Penina, the rival to Hannah, used to provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so Panina's walking around, and I'm sure she's holding, you know, with this really passive-aggressive type, you can imagine, holding the hand of one of her little ones and says, oh, Hannah, you've got all this food, but, but where are all the mouths that you need to feed? Oh, oh Hannah, uh, uh, look, look, uh, here, I've got my little one with me. Where's your little one? Maybe the little one asks, uh, mommy, wh- uh, where's Hannah's child? Oh, yeah, well, we're praying. Maybe, maybe someday Hannah will be blessed like me and us, and we could have a child as well. And so I'm sure this mockery, this passive-aggressive nature is going on, and it's just, it's just causing the pain that Hannah already has, and it just makes it deeper, and it cuts harder, and it hurts. It hurts. You know, one of the most painful things that we can experience as a parent is comparisons, right? These comparisons. You know, when we have these, these stories on social media or we share about accolades or accomplishments by our kids and, and sometimes we feel that temptation to say, is my child measuring up to their children? Do my children measure up to the children over there? Maybe my child, maybe the best they can do in school is, is B's and C's where their child is getting straight A's all the time. And you feel the weight and you feel the pain because of comparisons, And those comparisons, they don't come from the Lord. They come from an attitude like a woman like Panina that was just pouring it on Hannah in her grief and in her pain. Maybe you've been there, just that comparison. Comparisons can be deadly. Comparisons can bring grief and pain. That doesn't belong in the household of faith, family. Oh, that we would love our kids for who they are and love the kids that belong to another family for the kids that they are because we recognize that we belong to one spiritual family together through Jesus Christ. Comparisons and rivalries have no place in the household of faith. But this was the pain. This was the pain that Hannah was feeling. And so verse 7 says, So it went on year by year. As, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, uh, Panina used to provoke Hannah. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. She wept and would not eat. Friends, if you're a mom or your dad, you know a little bit, right? There are fewer pains and griefs in this world, h- harder and more painful than the pain we feel over our kids, right? That's a different kind of pain. It's a different kind of hurt. 
I mean, there's places in my heart and compartments in my, my emotional being that were open for the first time that I didn't even know existed when I saw my kids and I held them for the first time. Judah, Ben, and Alethea, each one, they seemed to just open up a new place in my heart that I never knew existed. And that's wonderful, and that's beautiful, but guess, that, guess what that means? That means there's new places in my heart that are now vulnerable to pain and hurt. And when you feel the emotions over loving your kids or loving a spouse, or we just we feel that pain, or, or a mom, or a dad, or, or a friend, or a brother, or a sister, that's what happens when we open up our hearts to new loves. It makes us vulnerable to the pain. Oh my, but she remained dedicated in it. She remained dedicated in her pain. She didn't curse God. She didn't rebel. She didn't throw up her hands in the air and say, forget this. She didn't get violent or vindictive with Penina, but she kept saying, Lord, here I am in my pain and in my grief. But here's the beauty of her dedication in the midst of her pain. She was not alone. You see, God often worked powerfully through women in the scriptures who were thought to be barren. If you remember, Sarah, the, the wife of Abraham, was barren for decades upon decades. In fact, it became laughable that she could ever have a child. And then what, God, what does God do? Likely in her 90s, causes her to become pregnant and give birth to the promised son from Abraham. His name was Isaac. Hannah was not alone. Not only that, later on, two generations later, Rachel, the wife of, of Jacob, was barren and she felt that pain. And there was another rivalry between her and Leah, who was also Jacob's wife. But yet God blessed Rachel with a child and his name was Joseph. Joseph was instrumental in redeeming the people of Israel and helping them so that they could be saved in Egypt to find food. God was with Hannah, and he wanted Hannah to see you're not alone in your pain. In fact, later on in the New Testament, we see that Elizabeth uh, was barren until she gave birth to John the Baptist. And we see even the Virgin Mary, who, yes, was a virgin, but we see through this miraculous birth that God is at work, even through women who are experiencing pain, that he can bring his mighty, powerful deliverance to his people. Hannah may have felt pain, but God was beginning a new chapter in the plan for his people. You see, friends, this is what we need to take from this. A dedicated parent uh, is, can bring forth a dedicated child, but it first has to remain dedicated through the pain. You see, our pain may be the sign that God is beginning to work. A commentator that I, I read this week uh, preparing for this, he says this, Let us not play down the heavy grief of Hannah's or our own bleak circumstances, but let us moderate our despair by realizing it may be but another prelude to a mighty work of God. That's what was true for Hannah. She had so much pain, but the, the miracle of the story is that that pain in that moment, that, that barrenness, that rivalry, that mockery from Panina, it was just a prelude to the mighty and powerful work of God. Friends here today, you may be going through pain. Moms, dads, single, doesn't matter. Whatever pain you may be going through today, oh friend, let's look to Hannah and say, I've got an example of someone who looked and remain dedicated through the pain, maybe it's the prelude for a mighty work of God in your life. I've got a friend who I knew well in California, and to protect her privacy, I'm just going to call her Melissa. Melissa. And this Melissa, as I got to know her, 
she just began to express to me just this pain that she felt in her heart. I said, well, tell me about it. And she said, well, I've got a son. I've got a son, and, and I've loved this son. And it was a son that she had as a very young age. And so as they both grew older, they were actually kind of like older sister, brother sister in some ways because she had him as a, as a teenage mom. But this son, he got into all kinds of trouble. And uh, I think he got into uh, substance abuse. And uh, in fact, I believe he began dealing drugs. And, and eventually, he got into some serious, serious trouble, and he was thrown into prison, put into prison for a long, long time. And you see, could see the grief that this mom was experiencing. And I remember I was in her, a small group with her, and we, and we would pray, and we would cry together for her son. Lord, Lord, this pain that this precious mom feels. But one day as we were talking, she said, you know what? I think I, I understand that God's pain, or this pain that I was experiencing, was just a prelude to something better. You see, what happened in prison was that her son encountered someone who shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus. And as he was there in prison, he gave his life over to Jesus Christ. He repented of his sin. He confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord. He got baptized, and guess what he did? He started to turn himself into an evangelist, a witness sharing the love of Jesus Christ in word and deed with the other inmates there in prison. And as we talked about this and as we wrestled with this, and I, I wanted to be careful. I don't know exactly all that God is doing all the time. His ways are mysterious, and that preludes that, that may be painful, they, they do end in a work of mighty work of God, but I didn't know exactly. And she confessed, she goes, Matthew, I think I have to realize now that as much as I want my son back, now in this life out of prison, what I realize is that I've gotten something better. God used that so that he would encounter someone who would preach the gospel to him and that he would realize his sin and that he could become an eternal part of the family of God. I may not have him here with me, next to me in this life, but someday I'm going to be with him in eternity. And I would trade away time with him now so that I could have him in eternity than to have him here for a moment and lose him forever in the fires of hell. You see, her pain was a prelude to the mighty work of God, and that's what it takes to be a dedicated parent. It takes being dedicated even in the midst of the pain of being a mom or being a dad. Remain steadfast. Remain faithful. Keep trusting in God in the midst of your pain. Well, a dedicated child begins with a dedicated parent. And we see that Hannah was dedicated in her pain, but she was also dedicated in prayer. She was dedicated in prayer. It says in verse 10 that, that she came there to Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was and the Ark of the Covenant was. And she was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and she would weep bitterly. Friend, I want to tell you something about prayer. There's no pain too big. There's no mess too messy for God. You see, in prayer, just like Hannah, we could come right with all of the needs, all of the hurts and all of the pains and all the tears, and I know it's gross, but even the snot bubbles. I've been there, friends. And we bring it all to God and we say, Lord, I'm a mess. He says, I know, but you come to the right place in prayer. She was dedicated in prayer. There's no pain too big or messy for God. In fact, he invites his people to cast their anxieties upon him because he cares for us. That's what it means to be a dedicated parent through prayer is that it's saying, I'm coming even when it's good, but especially when it's bad, I'm coming and I'm bringing my needs to the Lord. And what did she do? 
She looked at God through her request in verse 11 that we see here. She comes and she prays. She says, she vowed a vow to the Lord and said, O Lord of hosts, if you would indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to the Lord all the days of his life, him back to you, and no razor shall touch his head. Well, what, what's he talking about? I'm never going to give her son a haircut? This is a Nazarite vow, a special vow that people would take to give their full devotion and ministry and service to the Lord. And she's saying, I'm going to give my son over as like a Nazarite to the Lord. No razor shall touch his head. And I certainly could not be a Nazarite then, right? Uh, but there she is, and she gives her request to God. Here's what she recognized in all this. She could have put her foot down and demanded and say, come on, Lord, I've done everything I needed to do. What's going on here? Come on, Lord, I've tried every, every means, every, every plan, every, every kind of method and technique that I could find to, to have a child. What's going on here? No, she recognized. She recognized that the child was a gift from the Lord, not something that she could manipulate. Friends, this speaks to us in our day and age. Every child is a gift from God, a gift from God. And he, in his mysterious and infinitely good wisdom, he has the power to withhold and he has the power to give. Therefore, friends, as we look at this, as we see Hannah's prayer, we see that we should never consider life as expendable. It's precious because life comes from the Lord. And so Hannah, she vowed to give a son to the Lord. If the, the Lord would give a son to her, she would give that son back to the Lord. In prayer, what was she doing? In prayer, she was there and saying, Lord, you see my desires. All the tears, all the crying, all the snot bubbles, everything, you see it all. But I'm here right now and I say, I'm going to align my heart to your heart, God. She committed her body. She committed her child to the plan of God and not to her own plan. She was dedicated in prayer. And verse 15 says this. And, and you know, it's funny, this exchange between Hannah and Eli. Eli presumes she's drunk, right? Because she's there and she's mouthing, you know, quietly to herself. And, and he thinks, oh man, here's this drunk woman. She shouldn't have come to the tabernacle like this as if Eli was one to accuse. It's like the pot calling the kettle black, right? It's, 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 it's so wrong. But, but she hadn't been pouring out a lot of wine and getting drunk. No, no, no. Hannah had been, as verse 15 says, pouring out her soul before the Lord. Pouring out her soul before the Lord. That's what a dedicated parent does. Because guess what? As, as a dad, I can't bear all the burdens that I feel for my kids. But there is one that I can pour out my soul to in prayer. And that's God. That's God. And this is what Eli speaks to her. He says, uh, he says the gift uh, that, uh, he says this, Hannah, God hears you. Hannah, God sees you. Hannah, God offers you his shalom, his peace. He's heard your request. And this was the gift of prayer to Hannah. She didn't have a child yet, but this was the gift of God in prayer. God said, Hannah, I give you my presence. I give you my peace. I'm with you. You see, it doesn't take long as a parent to realize that you are deeply desperate, that, that you say, I need help. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to search for every technique to, to solve this problem for my child. Friends, there's no book. There's no technique. There's no plan. There's no child-raising voice, podcast in your life, or mentor or otherwise that can help the heavy heart of a parent, like the peace that comes from God and His presence through prayer. 
A dedicated child began with a dedicated parent, and that dedicated parent, she prayed. She prayed. Mom, dad, spiritual mom, spiritual dad, whoever you are here in this place, mentor, whatever, I want to ask you, are you dedicated to the Lord for your child, for the one that you care for? Are you dedicated to them through prayer? What do you do when you feel worried? What do you do when you feel anxious? To whom do you look for wisdom? Oh, friend, remain steadfast in prayer, in prayer. You may not see the answer right away, but God says, I will give you my presence. I will give you my peace that surpasses all understanding. Miss Hannah, she was dedicated. Dedicated in her pain, dedicated in prayer. And then thirdly, we see she was dedicated in her purpose. She was dedicated in her purpose for herself and for her child. It says in verse 22, the child is born, and, and you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Hannah, come on up, and let's bring Samuel and show him off to everybody, right? She says, no, 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 no. I made a promise to the Lord. I've aligned my heart with his purpose, but I'm going to wait here. And verse 22 says, when the child is weaned, probably three years old, I will bring him so he may appear before the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. I mean, wow, Right? This precious little child, the most precious thing in her life. You may think to yourself, all right, I know that was probably a rash vow, Hannah, right? To vow him to the Lord. You're not really going to do that, right? You're not really going to let go, take your fingers off this little boy, take him out of your arms and leave him there in ministry and service to the Lord. She says, yes, I am. I'm going to do that. I am going to fulfill my vow. Why? Because my heart has been aligned with the purpose of God. For that's the only reason I could ever let go of my child. It's because that child is given to the purpose of God. Verses 26 to 28, she says, God gave Samuel to me and I have lent him back. Let's take a look at it one more time. This is where we get this idea of dedication. Verse 26, she said, Oh, my Lord, talking to Eli, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him. I have given him back. I, I, I've, I've dedicated him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is given over, dedicated, lent to the Lord. Eli was blown away because he knew he was not a dad like this woman was a mom. And he bowed down and he worshiped. She's saying, God gave him to me and I have lent him, given him back, dedicated him to the Lord. I want to ask you, mom, dad, mentor, what do you desire for your child? What do you desire for your child? Maybe it's that top-notch school. Maybe it's that fantastic education. Maybe it's that scholarship. Maybe it's that, you know, that that, uh, that trip to a, just a prestigious school. Maybe it's that career path that is going to set them up for a lot of power and a lot of influence and maybe a lot of wealth and, and, and maybe, you know, homes. And, and, and you've got all these dreams for your children, right? But have you ever taken the moment to ask, what does the Lord desire for my child? You see, what Hannah believed in, and what I would say a dedicated parent, what they believe is this, that my child's best life my child's best life is lived devoted to the Lord's purpose, not my purpose. That's what it means to be a dedicated parent. It's saying my child's best life is lived for the Lord's purpose, devoted and dedicated to the Lord's purpose, not my purpose. 
I want to share just a, some gleanings that I got from a great little book that I was reading recently. I've had it on my shelf for a couple of years now. It's a book called Dedicated, Training Your Children to Trust and Follow Jesus by Jason Hauser. And if you're familiar with the Seeds Family Worship, he's, a, he's one of the leaders for that, and Bobby Harrington and Chad Harrington. But in this book, Dedicated, they talk about Hannah's story. And this is what they say, parents who wish to raise dedicated children must first dedicate themselves to being disciples. What's a disciple? It's a committed follower of Jesus. Dedication comes down to one core issue for parents, living a discipleship lifestyle. It's living the kind of life like Hannah was living, although she did not know all about Jesus and all that. I recognize that. But she's saying, my purpose is to live for his purpose. And my, the best purpose for my child isn't my purpose, but it's the Lord's purpose. That's the best thing that you could do for your child is to say, little one, our lives are dedicated and devoted to our Creator and our Savior and our Lord. This is the very best thing you could do for your child. Listen to me, mom. Listen to me, dad. Listen to me, mentor, auntie, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whoever you may be. The very best thing that you can do for the child that you love is this. Follow Jesus faithfully. Follow Jesus faithfully. Think about all the desires that you have for your child. Oh, like Hannah, that we lay it at the Lord's feet and say, the best thing I could do for my little Samuel is this. I give our lives wholly over to the Lord. What does that look like? What's this following Jesus as a disciple mean? It's, it's not perfection, but faithfulness, humility, honesty, righteousness, integrity, worship of God. It's, it's intaking scripture. It's prayer. It's service. It's community. It's evangelism. You follow Jesus faithfully, and what you do is you invite your little one and say, let's go be devoted to Jesus together. Now, I don't want any of you like Hannah being dropping, uh, coming by the church office anytime soon and dropping off your child there, okay? I'm just telling you that right now. We're not going to do it like Eli did, but what you can do, what you can do like Hannah is this, is you could show your little one, we are fully devoted to the purpose of the Lord. So you want to ask yourself, well, what does this mean? What does this mean for Monday? How do I live this dedicated life? Well, there's a dedicated challenge that comes up at the end of this book, and I just want to share it with you. Five things that we can do to show our dedicated commitment to the Lord for our children. First and foremost is this pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus first and foremost. John 15, 5 says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to do something great for your child? Go ahead, try it on your own. You can't do anything of eternal significance. You need Jesus so pursue Jesus first and foremost. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the Lord of your home. Not social media, not friends, not screens, not teachers, not even you, but Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of your home. Friend, if you want to be a dedicated parent, and if you want to pass that on so that, Lord willing, you can have a dedicated child, first and foremost, pursue Jesus 
What else do you do? Secondly, love your children by spending time with them. Boy, that sounds obvious, right? And for those of you that have little ones, you may be thinking to yourselves, oh my gosh, that's all I do is spend time with my little one, right? But as they get older, they start to see, they start to become a little bit independent. You can turn on that screen for a while, they're entertained. You set up those blocks or cars and they can play for it for a while, with a while, right? Don't let them become estranged from you. Stay close to them. Love your children by spending time with them. Jesus tells his disciples this in John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are also to love one another. How did Jesus love his disciples? He spent a lot of time with them. He taught them. He showed them. And he says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love with, for one another. Love your children. Love them. Spend time with them. Ask them questions. Get to know them. Let them get to know you. Spend loving time with them. Not just disciplining them, not just training them, but having fun with them. I have been playing Mario Kart with my kids for, it feels like decades now. They're not that old. But we spend time together and we compete and we laugh and joke and have a great time. But I just look back at those moments and I think, say, thank you, Lord. I know there's a lot of times that I've blown it, but you've given us Mario Kart to spend time together and love one another. Thirdly, teach your children obedience to Jesus daily. Teach your children obedience to Jesus daily. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says this. He says to his disciples after he rose from the dead, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, that's great. But my child, I also have to teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Friends, that's the, that's the appeal. You know, when you get to these conflicts with your kids, as they grow older, I've had that with my own kids, and they, they want to ask me, well, why is that the standard in our house? And my first gut reaction is this, because I said so, son. Because I said so, daughter, right? Why do you need it? Because I said so, right? But the big stuff, the important stuff, things related to, why do we go to church? Because I said so. No, no, no. Why do we pray? Because I said so? No, 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 no. Why do we have, especially as they get teenagers and become older, why do we hold to a, a sexual ethic that seems so antiquated in this day and age? Because I said so? Oh no, because I'm teaching you to observe all that Jesus commanded. All that Jesus commanded. He's the Lord of this house. Friends, I struggle with this all the time, but what I try and do when my kids ask me the big questions and when they're struggling with the decision to make, I want to ask, not what, what, what should a Nicosia do? What, what would Matthew, your dad, do? But what would Jesus think about this? How does Jesus view your situation? Oh, that we would teach our kids to obey Jesus daily. Fourthly, lead your family regularly in worship. We saw this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 earlier. And, and I won't read it again, but just to summarize, it's like, hey, when, when you teach your kid, teach them when they get up and when they, they lay down. Teach them when they go out of the house and when they come home. And teach them when you sit down and when you stand up and when you eat or drink. Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Open your Bibles together. If there's a big question in the house, you know, don't say, oh, we'll talk about that later. Say, no, 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 we need to talk about this now. Be familiar with the scriptures so that you could teach your children in the time that you spend with them, in the moments that you could capture when you're walking with them along the way, and then those milestones that you celebrate as they go from preschool to kindergarten and junior high and high school. I've got a senior in high school this year. Talk about a milestone. Celebrate those milestones. 
you're growing in Jesus together. Lead your family in worship regularly. And then fifthly, seek expressions of God's kingdom through word and deed with your family. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in healing every disease and affliction. Friend, here's the best thing you could do. You speak Jesus and you demonstrate it through your good deeds. And you do that with other people. Again, I'm far from perfect, but I just, I love it. My kids, it's made an impression on them. Like usually around holidays, we have people over to our house, people that may not have anywhere else to go for the holidays, and they come and they be a part of our house, just showing that, hey, we just want to be hospitable. We're far from perfect. We just want to show this is what Jesus looks like. Do you serve with your kids? Let them serve with you. Do you do good works with your kids? Let them see you do it. Bring them along. Show them that this faith that we have is not just something that we say, but it's something that we live out. We don't just talk the talk, but that we walk the walk. That's what it means to be a dedicated parent. Will you take that challenge today? Because a dedicated child begins with a dedicated parent. And I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close. A dedicated child begins with a dedicated parent. You may be thinking to yourself, man, that, that sounds really hard to let go of my, my kid, Right? actually devote them over to the Lord? What if, what if the Lord called your son or your daughter to be sent to the mission field? What if the Lord called your son or daughter to be put in a job that maybe doesn't make the most money, but that, that fulfills the call that God has put on their life? Our kids aren't meant to be hoarded. Our kids are meant to be devoted and dedicated to the Lord. That sounds awfully scary, right? But remember, a dedicated child begins with a dedicated parent. And what we could look to and have hope in is this, is that the greatest, most dedicated parent of all is not Hannah, it's not you, it's not me, but it's our heavenly father that we spoke about earlier. Listen to what he says in John 3, 16, what it says here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He dedicated his son his perfect Holy Son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me and for his mission. And in the midst of our pain, he said, I've got that pain and sin is just a prelude to my work. I'm dedicating my son over to rescue you from sin and death. So mom and dad, today you may be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I could do this. Can you look to a father who dedicated his son, dedicated his son for you and for me? That's what it means to be dedicated. I give my son, I give my daughter over to your purposes, God, because you have done that for me. You've done that for me. I want to invite you to stand right now as we close in prayer. I want to ask you, have you dedicated your life over to the purpose of God in your life? You moms and dads, you may be thinking to yourself today, I, I feel that pain like Hannah. I've been desperate in prayer Oh, that we would come together and say, will we align ourselves and our hearts to the purpose of God for our lives? And will we look to the one who gave his very best in his son, Jesus Christ, for us, our good, good father. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you've not asked us to do anything in dedicating our sons and daughters to your purpose that you haven't done already for us. For just at the right time, God sent his son into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so, Lord, we 
we're here today, many of us in this room are moms or dads or, or mentors or aunties or uncles or grandparents or sons or daughters, but we have someone in our lives that we, we weep over, we feel pain over, that we feel anxious about. Oh, Lord, we dedicate them to you. We dedicate them to you because offering them to you is the very best thing that we could do for their lives, to be aligned not with our purposes, but with your purpose. And so with great humility and great courage and great faith and great hope and trust in you, we say, Lord, you've got them. Lord, you've got my sons. You've got my daughter. It's so hard to let go, but Lord, I know that's the best thing I could do for them. Teach us to be dedicated parents, dedicated disciples, bringing our kids along to follow Jesus faithfully. We ask all this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said.